You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Come on, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the Houndsman XP podcast. I'm your host, Chris Powell, and I'm glad you're with us this week. I truly am honored that you would take time out of your day or choose to listen to, to us as we try to expand the scope of what we do as houndsmen, how we interact, how we add value to the outdoor industry, wildlife management, and our society as a whole. What we're doing by running multiple episodes with groups that are out there fighting and defending our freedoms to hunt is providing education. It's education for us as houndsmen to be able to build our narrative, talk intelligently, know why we hunt, what 
what those values are that we add, be able to tell other people about that and not just simply rely on, I hunt because I've always hunted. I hunt because I like to hunt. Those are all valuable reasons. Legacy, tradition, and enjoyment is why we hunt. But just as importantly as knowing how a dog's nose works or doing your homework and figuring out what cross for a future breeding is going to enhance your abilities with your hounds to catch more game, that's all good stuff. But it's just as important to understand the politics behind hunting and the fact that people are trying to come and take that away from you. We have to know how to tell our story. It's imperative because when we don't tell it, then other people tell it for us. I got to listen to the title board meeting last week in Colorado and the way the anti-hunting crowd is trying to paint a picture of us as houndsmen is completely irresponsible, wrong, and just downright dirty. They're willing to go to any length, any length, to make sure that you don't get to hunt, that we cease doing what we do. That includes outright lying and misrepresenting us as hunters and houndsmen. These groups represent the very things that I see you posting on Facebook that you're against. Corrupt politicians, bureaucracy, overreach of government. All of the things that are an attack on our lifestyle are in play here. And while many of the topics that we see and hear about seem out of our reach, maybe we don't know what we can do to stop it or curb the tide of craziness that seems to be hitting us from every side. This is something you can do. This is a fight that you can get into, and this is our part of the fight against the crazies of the world to make a stand. That's why we do what we do on this podcast. We aren't debating the value of wars on foreign soil or why wars are fought or critical race theory or any of that other stuff. There is plenty of programming, probably more than enough programming out there talking about that, but nobody's talking about this issue. The fact that we are being suppressed as a hound hunting community and the reason we are are the favorite target is because we have never learned to talk about it. We've never learned to define our values. We've been loosely organized. We look like an easy target for the anti-hunting public to come and take away the things we love to do. And I know you love to do it. So please join me in learning how to defend it and then get in the fight. Nobody's coming to our rescue. It's on us. And the only way we are going to get the support we need to continue to free cast hounds is if we show the interest and the seriousness of our plight and we start helping ourselves. There are groups out there that will help us and we're coordinating right now. I'm glad to have Todd Adkins. We've built a great partnership with Sportsman's Alliance through Houndsman XP and Todd Adkins is going to be on this podcast. He's going to lay out a lot of things that are happening all over the country. I hope you're going to stay tuned and listen in and figure out which part of this fight is yours and how we can get involved and we can continue to hand defeats 
to these multi-million dollar organizations. This is truly a David and Goliath attempt, but I know that we can be successful if we all rise up and we just simply take care of our own job today. Let's get the tailgate down. It's time to dump the box. Chris, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm alive, man. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. <laughs> no guarantees on that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh I'm tired. I'm already I'm already wore out. I know we're not even into January of 2024. Oh, I'm gonna have to reach down deep and find that go watch some Rocky movies or something and <laughs> get motivated here. Um yeah, we got a lot going on, Todd. I appreciate you taking time to join us on the podcast and uh, bring our audience up to speed on just tons of stuff that's going on. seems like we're doing way too many of these podcasts talking about threats, and um, but it's important. You know, it's important that we stay informed and, and ignite our bases and get involved here. So, yeah, how's everything going over at Sportsman's Alliance? Everything's great, but as you say, boy, is it busy, and and we never had a summer, so to speak, this year. You know, I guess I'm old enough to recognize there was a time when in politics, summer just slowed things down, and, and it's just not the case this year. Uh, for those folks who pay attention to politics at any level at all, we had a whole host of activities, and, and more recently, we've been kind of we knew this was coming at some level, but, you know, we've been put on notice that they're going to come after us in the state of Colorado in, on the ballot next year. So uh, we've been very busy out in Washington state. As you know, Washington has been engaged in all these shenanigans for many years. Let's so, let's spend some time talking about, you know, some of these we're, we're leaning in heavy on Colorado. There's no doubt about that from right. our from our standpoint. But I don't want to deny or give people the impression that we don't care what's going on in other places. You know, it's it's uh, it's happening everywhere. It's just as important anywhere else. It's just that Colorado is going to be a huge stage, and I'm calling it the multi-million-dollar bloodbath by the time this is all over. And I can't get my mic thing set up here right, but um, so I don't, I don't, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but. But no. I don't want to pass over some other key things that are going on in other places besides Colorado. That's just like the top top of the ticker right now. Well, you know, and, and all of us in the hunting community recognize that, you know, we've seen these drips and drabs of our kind of our rights and our opportunities being restricted, if not taken away. Um, and that obviously started in a state like California a long time ago. So this is nothing new. Now, the landscape has changed, meaning the geography of those fights has evolved over time. But real quick, I just want to give some people some good news, because it seems yeah. like in my business, we're Please. always <laughs> guys falling. You better get, get more money to somebody, you know. Right. This is all going away, uh, and sometimes that all that drama, which is kind of modern America now, everything's very dramatic. We actually had a ruling by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and anybody who, again, pays any attention knows the Ninth Circuit is not the good circuit for no. our issues, generally speaking. 
They're out of Missoula, right? Uh, well, it's it. Those courts are based in Missoula, but out west. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So all the cases originating from California, Oregon, and Washington, uh, and other states as well, end up in that. That's the Ninth Circuit. Well, you might recall, um, actually, last session, California passed a, a new law because a lot of a lot of legislators in the state of California believe that guns are just like tobacco. We're just going to regulate this into oblivion. And they passed a law to prohibit the marketing of firearms to minors. And they said, this is to save our children, right. yada, 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 just like they always did, just like we did with tobacco. Yeah. Well, the sports no more Camel Joe. That essentially <laughs> that's it. And, and a whole host of groups out West in California holy cow, we do hunter education and, and you can't market a hunter education program without marketing firearm related activities to youth, right. right? So this is bad news all the way around. Well, we, along with other groups, filed suit against that California law, against the attorney general, and, and not unexpectedly, we lost at the lower level. And there are actually two of these cases that were brought by various groups. Well, we finally got our appeal on the the we we asked for a preliminary injunction in both cases. You've got to stop this law in place because hunter education, youth hunting, shooting sports, holy cow, these are major fines, twenty five thousand dollars each and every time. We have to put this on hold. These district courts said, nope, you don't get a preliminary injunction. We're just going to proceed at a normal pace. Well, as you know, a court case can take years. Right. We appealed that denial for our request of a preliminary injunction to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And everybody's like, oh, goodness, you're in the Ninth Circuit. Good luck. Right. With right. But this law is so egregiously bad. Even the Ninth Circuit said, you know what? That was inappropriate. And they actually said the denial of a preliminary injunction on this law because you are likely to win when it comes down to the merits of this. This is a violation of the First Amendment, let alone the Second Amendment. This is You can't tell people based on how they view the world, in this case, pro-gun, you can't talk. That's the right. First Amendment. And, Freedom and I, of speech. That's right. That's right. So we had these deci this decision out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. They send it back to the district court, and we're kind of waiting for the administrative mess to 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 conclude but we feel really good because other states illinois was among them new york there are a lot of other states that said oh that's a great idea yeah let's do that right so we're there there's some good news for us at the end of the day you know sportsmen will all, often hear about us filing another suit and they're like oh here we go again filing a well we actually won this one and it's a big one not just for Californians, very important there, obviously, but for all of us. You're not going to, all you regulators who think of firearms as, you know, in these problematic terms, it's all inappropriate, right? You're not going to treat us like you did tobacco because you're talking about apples and oranges, right? We are talking about 12-year-olds engaging in a perf perfectly lawful activity, for heaven's sakes, right? Right. And if you want to have that fight, let's have that fight. Bring it on. If you want to talk about whether or not young Americans should engage in their Second Amendment rights or hunt or whatever, let's have that fight. If you want to get honest about it, let's. So anyway, we're yeah. very. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I would just I would just add to that, Todd. I mean, I think an interesting statistic to reveal to debunk some of that could be how many hunter education graduates are responsible for uh, school shootings or mass mass shootings or any type of gun violence. I bet well, it is minuscule. Well, you're absolutely right, of course. I mean, just anecdotally, we know this to be the case. When you look at the millions upon millions of, of young Americans who have engaged in hunting activities or hunter education programs or shooting sports, we know that. But remember, as soon as you cross over to the world of logic and reason, <laughs> right? So Whoa. it comes to folks who seek to restrict us, throw us off the landscape, the gun owners, hunters, all of us collectively, again, they rely on emotion. And so we're going to get to this, this question in Colorado. Again, it, it, it is, they pull out the arrow about emotion, pull out the arrow. It's about emotion. Mm -hmm. They don't want to talk logic and reason. Thankfully, there are still a few judges around who say, no, at the end of the day, you have to have that in your quiver too, that you have to talk about reason and have a, a, a actually A plus B equals C, one plus one equals two. That still remains, at least for a number of judges, among the things that they'll they'll run through. So aren't you feeling though that that the average American, the, the people that I call the battleground population, the people that aren't, uh, highly invested in firearms and, and hunting, they're not, you know, highly invested. They're not on the side of the fence that guns are bad or hunting is bad. I'm, I feel like I'm seeing an uprising of common sense among the general population that are just tired of being misled and misinformed and, one extreme, you know, the, the extremist tactics of the people that want to strip Americans of their rights. Are you seeing that at your level? Well, I, I think what you recognize, and I think you're absolutely right. And, and it's among the reasons that politics has gotten, if not noisy, kind of ugly at times is Americans are fed up. Mm -hmm. They, oh my goodness, you guys just scream and yell. You never make any sense. So I think what you've identified is absolutely true. But here's the difficulty for us. Yes. You, all, everybody in the hunting community, right? If you pick a state, you want to maintain the status quo. Let's say, let's say you live in the type of state where you're not overly regulated, uh, hunting license. Uh, they're pretty cheap or they're not too expensive. I have good access, good opportunities. I don't have the public asking to restrict me each and every day, right? If you live in one of those places, you still have to get those messages out, right? We still have to understand that California elected Ronald Reagan as governor at one point. Yeah. And and this this is what gets why we get tired and why you can say, man, am I worn out? Well, you have to maintain that ever vigilance that, look, we have to stay at work. We have to continue to talk to friends and family and people in our circles and, and keep reminding them of this, these realities, the, the, the actual facts on the ground and what it looks like when you manage wildlife and what it looks like when you don't manage wildlife and so on and so forth. So I get what you're saying. Sometimes it's, it still remains difficult for us to get through the clatter and noise, though. 
and we still have to keep pressing for that. Yeah, I think that's key right there, Todd. You're absolutely right. If you're living in a state like Indiana or South Dakota or Idaho, I think even some people in Montana right now are kind of feeling a wave of of freedoms that they haven't had for a while. Man, it's easy to become complacent and, you know, just kind of live in your own little world and think, well, I don't have any problems, so I'm not involved. This does not affect me. Right. and I can tell you 100% that I was completely asleep at the switch through the 90s when things were being attacked in California and Oregon and Washington, you know, those places. And we lost miserably there. And I guess I'm at the point in my life, it's like, no more, not another inch. I'm going to be on, the, you know, I'm going to be involved in this wherever the fight is. And I think it's a worthy fight. I mean, I've staked a whole podcast brand and reputation yeah. on on jumping in this fight and helping our houndsmen uh understand what the real narratives are um you know help them develop their own narratives so when they're talking to aunt millie at thanksgiving that's like you know those bobcats sure are cute i think we should save them you know how does hunting be able to talk about that be able to get an effective message out there that helps them uh uh bring those people that are living on the fringes back to reality. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't blow smoke up anybody's skirt, but it, it, at the, I'm always thankful for people like you. I'm always thankful for the people who resist the urge to stay on the couch because that's kind of in a way, just human nature. And that, and we see that in all political activities it's always, it comes down to winning and losing always comes down to how many of your people stayed on the couch versus how many of their people stayed on. It always comes down to that. Whether a lot of people say, well, I, nobody listens to me. Nobody, I, trust me, engagement. You can, make, <laughs> you can make all the difference in the world by just showing up. And sometimes that is nothing but what you described. That means saying something at Thanksgiving dinner. Not in a nasty, controversial way. Just say, no, Aunt Millie, let me tell you a story. Or whatever yeah. narrative is you've developed for your, and your style. It means being engaged and thinking about what was it like to be in the state of Washington 30 years ago and thinking everything's okay. What was it like to be in California 35 or 40 years ago? Everything's fine. Nothing to look at here. And then go ask those same folks if they're around. Do you have any regrets? And they will say, oh, I wish I had talked to Aunt Millie. And I then I wish I would have written letters. Then I wish I would have made phone calls and so on and so forth. So I know people that bear hunted with hounds in the state of California said it was the most phenomenal uh, adventure of their lives. You know, that one of their favorite places to go. And so there are still people out there that live through this and know. And I, I know it's very tempting for our friends in California to sit back and, and maybe think, okay, you're going to feel, you're going to see exactly what this is like. It's your turn to go through this and disengage. But my appeal to them is you've got so much valuable knowledge and experience in the, in the trenches of this, that you can help us keep it from spreading any farther. So, yeah. um, it's, it's crucial. 
you know, not to be holding grudges. It's like, well, where were you when we were trying to fight in California? I admit it. I was asleep at the switch and, and I totally understand what you're talking about when you talk about people that fail to listen, because I see my numbers every week. If I run a podcast, it's all fluff and ponytail and, you know, butt smacking funny, fun stuff. I mean, my ratings go off the charts. When I start talking about stuff like this, then my downloads go down and I get it. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've got one little interesting anecdote and I'll keep it as short as I can, but it's so informative for me personally, maybe for others, it's like, whatever, cute story, Todd, but (laughs) I graduated from law school. My very first assignment among like the things that I remember in the mid nineties when I went to work for the NRA was go out to Washington. There's a bear initiative, blah, blah, blah. And I'm green. I don't. Oh, okay. So I show up and this is in Eastern Washington out just outside of Spokane. I'm in a room. There's about 200 folks in the room, right? We're all good. What are we going to do about this ballot initiative? Oh my goodness. What are we going to do? Well, I didn't, I'm green and I don't, I don't have all this gray hair at this point with all of these experiences, right? Hey, but you've, I, still, you've still got hair, Todd. I can see it. <laughs> it's your great. Forehead, your forehead's getting longer, but you've still got hair up there. I can't support that. That's my, that's, hey, my, that's my brain just expanding over time. <laughs> anyway, um, but I, I I lean all over California because I, I I'm green. I don't really have any, and I'm like, look, look to our south. It's terrible. And I'm pointing to because that where I was standing in the room, it's that way. California, awful. California, terrible. They're taking everything. Blah blah blah. You better wake up. Literally, this guy near the front. He might have been in the second or third row. Big dude too. Stood up, pointed his finger at me. And said, Todd, stop talking about California. We're not California. None of that is going to happen here. Wag, literally wagging his finger at me. Mm. So when I, I, again, I don't know if that's meaningful for others. It's meaningful for me because that's all, that's it in a nutshell. It's always about how many folks did you get off the couch and whether or not your people and even those people who are kind of sort of with you. Will they heed the call, get active, whether that's five bucks for a campaign, whether it's writing a letter, showing up to vote, you know, pressing the flesh, talking to everybody in your circle, whether or not we can actually make that happen. Now, what I've seen in Washington since we kind of went active in litigation, you know, we filed suit against one of their commissioners. You're violating the law, right? Well, that's headed to the Supreme Court now. We won at the lower level. And this was not what I would call super conservative judge. The judge said, yeah, you're violating the statute. Well, we're headed to the Supreme Court now. What I've seen in Washington, holy cow, we held an event out there. And that was that room was packed full of people, all breathing fire, all ready to eat leather or whatever it took. So what I do know, and I've been reminded over these 30 plus years, is once People finally click right up here and they go, I got it, man. I am ready for the fight. It's not it's not docile. You got to actually bring your elbows all all the way up. And guess what? You got to say, I'm taking blood with me on the way down, if nothing else. Right. And we get that attitude. We'll win. And and that I believe that. And it's not just to get myself motivated. I because I've seen it 
when we get our elbows up and say, no more, you're not doing this anymore, we win. Yeah, for sure. And and houndsmen are very good about that. You know, I've seen them rise to the occasion multiple times, raise millions of dollars for children's hospitals, get involved in veterans programs, taking care of, of families in need, you know, even, even, you know, shutting down state capitals with pickup trucks and, and dog boxes in the back and standing on the steps, but it's got to be revealed that what we're seeing in other places, it may not be your home, but I can guarantee you there are plans in the making right now to bring it to your hometown. So that's why we need to be aware and watch and be involved because if, if it goes down there, it's coming to you next. So we need to stand together and it needs to be the whole hunting community, not just, you know, not just trappers. When the trappers were under attack, we all sat back and we said, Oh, I'm not a trapper. It doesn't affect me. And then when hounds come under attack, the deer hunters sit back and say, Oh, that doesn't affect me. Duck hunting's the same way until it comes down to the fact that it's now it's, they're coming after deer hunting guess what there's nobody left that's right and and we all kind of are are susceptible to that you know that that old cliche or story if you will about the frog in the water yes put the, the heat on low it it's too late by the time somebody directly comes in and tries to strike you right between the eyes that you're looking at the fist right there it's like too late you're going to take it. You're going to get beat on this. So you're absolutely right. You know, so I'll be sent personally. I'm not talking about sportsman's lines. We'll obviously be engaged as an organization. I, because I always do this, I will personally send money to the state of Colorado. And that is me as a hunter saying, well, it's not a lot of money because I don't make a lot of money, but it's going to be a substantial amount of money. Be like, wow, you don't even live there. Because every time the other side even engages in something, a, a campaign at a legislature or a ballot initiative, they are learning the lessons they need for the next fight, win, lose, or draw. Now, that's yes. true for us, hopefully, at the same time. But if you think HSUS and the rest of them look anything like they did 20 to 30 years ago, I man, 20 to 30 years ago, they were bumbling around, running into things. What we are seeing in Colorado, and, and I suppose we could transition really quickly, getting that language to that title board in the time frame that group did, and we're going to find out here shortly who's actually behind this, but we, we can be suspicious about who's behind it. Right. That was buttoned up. And what I looked at more than anything else, everybody's like, well, this language, that language, I understand a lot of these procedural things provide avenues to legally challenge the title, single subject, and, and we're going to get that chance. But I also know that state judges are elected judges, and they really don't want to get in the way of the people. I understand that. So because we've been doing this for so long at Sportsman's Alliance, I mean, we've been involved in more than two dozen of these fights. Yes, there will be there will be opportunities to challenge these kind of technical administrative details at the front end, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I know this is going to come down to a fight and whether or not we've actually invested each in in each other into ourselves, 
putting together a decent campaign, if not a strong campaign to actually take care of business, right? For sure. Yeah, that um, we we did transition a little bit there into the Colorado deal. Um, I watched that hearing yesterday and it was amazing to me. Um, it wasn't amazing. It was expected. I mean, it really was. I, I don't know how much we want to call out at this time or whatever. I think there is a, one thing I want my listeners to know is that I've been involved in enough conversations with, with stakeholders and people that are on the ground there right now, that this is going to be a strategic fight on our part. So if, if you aren't getting information that you think you should be getting, just trust that there is a plan that's in place, that's being devised as we speak, as you listen to this, and you are going to be informed and we're going to need your involvement at the right time. It's very important that we're strategic and we don't let too much out. We get enough out. So, I mean, that's all part of this whole thing. You know what app I use on my phone more than any other app besides the podcast app to listen to this here podcast. I use Onyx. Onyx Maps is the most comprehensive mapping system for hunters on the market today. I use it all the time. When I was in New Mexico, I was looking at 40,000 acres of ranch that I needed to learn. I flip open Onyx and just start studying, studying the map. When I'm riding trails, I put the tracking app on. It helps me get around in strange country. I could mark water sources, food sources, bear sign, just all kinds of options within Onyx. You need to check out Onyx Maps by going to houndsmanxp.com. Click on the link on our sponsor page. You'll go right to Onyx Maps, and when you check out, enter the code HXP20, and you will get 20% off of your order. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey folks, there's a few companies that I want to recognize before we get to the podcast because they have already made a commitment to be directly involved and get behind this effort that's going on in Colorado to defeat the animal extremists out there and keep responsible science-based wildlife management at the forefront for managing our wildlife that we as hunters have paid for. Those three companies, let me run through them. I might even mention four here. All right, so the first one is Freedom Hunters. I'm very proud to partner with Freedom Hunters and be the coordinator for outdoor adventures and hound adventures for Freedom Hunters. And it's easy to get involved. You send me an email and say, hey, I'd love to take America's veterans on a hound hunting adventure, and we'll get you hooked up. It can be as simple as a day in the field, rabbit hunting, uh lion hunting, whatever, whatever you're into, we can get a veteran to you and you can show them why we love to do the things that we do and make a big difference in their life. The next company that I want to mention is Cajun Lights. I called LW on the way back from New Mexico, told him what was going on in Colorado. And he said, sign me up. I am in for whatever you need. And we're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff with, with Cajun Lights coming up to generate the much-needed funding 
for this multi-million dollar fight that we're going to face in Colorado. If you're shopping, check out Cajun Lights. If you need a light, obviously they have those, but they've got all kinds of other dog supplies that you need as a houndsman. Everything from Garmin to kennel supplies, it's all on their website. They've got hunting attire, they've got coats, they've got vests. I mean, I, just check them out, folks. you got to see how much stuff they offer, and they are supporting you. So shop with people that support you. Uh, the next next organization is the Horses, Hounds, and Mules Sale. If you uh, heard us talk about that, we dropped some podcasts. I didn't get to go, but Seth made it there. Did a lot of coverage on the Horses, Hounds, and Mules. Trey Naramore, talked to him on the way back. We're working on some projects there, to, and they're going to help raise funds to fight this Initiative 91 in the state of Colorado. All right, who else am I missing? Oh! I know somebody. How about dogs are treed? Kevin and Nancy Hall, you guys have seen them at your Western Field Trials. You've seen the tie-outs. We've done YouTube videos. We've done stuff on their uh, hydration systems. Paws are protected. Top-of-the-line products for you as a houndsman, and they are more than happy to, to support us and you, houndsmen, in this fight in Colorado. So, Make sure you check them out, and you can find all of these organizations, companies, whatever you want to call them, on our website at houndsmanxp.com. Go to the sponsors page or partners page, and that link will take you right to their website. Support people that are supporting you. Let's get back to the podcast. That's exactly right, and I'm glad you brought that up because, and this is every ballot fight I've been involved in, these initial administrative steps so you get press releases, you see things in newspapers, podcasts, mm -hmm. social media, everybody gets very excited and oh my goodness, right? Rightly so. This is not good news. This is not something I would wish for, right? At the end of the day, of course. But the and and it's kind of funny, as a campaign manager, you immediately say, What is election day? It's November X, November 5th, or whatever it is, right? I don't know what it is in 24, but and you start the work. I think it's the I think it's the eighth. I'm thinking okay. it's the eighth. Okay. You, I'm but look. You, start to, you start to work backwards from that date because what you understand as a campaign manager, and this is true on any issue about anything, is you actually will get individuals' attention for a certain time frame. It's November 5th. You're, you were correct. Yeah. I actually guessed. I was just lucky. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you will get an individual's attention where you have the opportunity to change their mind, reinforce their like current belief, like on our issue would be, right, vote no. A certain amount of time. I'm not talking about the hardcore activists. They're always going to be there. I'm talking about the middle that we're actually targeting in this this election, right? This ballot initiative, we need the middle. All those folks who aren't quite sure, they might think cats are kind of great and cute. And, well, we've got to change their minds or reinforce where they are, depending on when, where they are. You, you don't have a year. We know this for certain. So if you activate somebody too early, and I mean, actually get them ginned up and crank like they're a hamster on a wheel, yeah. you 
burn them out way before they can have any impact. They're like, oh man, Todd, you, you already sent me that. I'm bored. I'm going to go off and do something else now. So you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you said it because what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, there are folks in Colorado doing all the things that need to be done right now. You know, you've had Dan Gates on your on your show, on your podcast. All these questions are well in hand. So if people feel like, well, I'm not getting poked and prodded and alerted or something, right. trust that that's not because people are lazy. It's not because you've been forgotten at all. It's because it's not yet the time to kind of start to gin up all of the various things that have to be put in place for us to be victorious. Yes. So what does that time frame look like? I mean, let's just talk, let's just talk human psychology here for a minute. Yeah. When, once we start, and I'm I'm terrible at this. As soon as I heard about it, it's like, you know, I I jump on the freaking fast track and and try to push this thing. And but but let's talk about human psychology. What kind of time frames are we looking at where we can make an impact and hold people's attention where they don't get tired of hearing me on this podcast every week talking about this initiative? Okay. And and there's always going to be individual realities about a specific campaign. It's going to be all of them are going to be slightly different in general there. For those who have worked on a lot of campaigns and especially those who have won a lot of campaigns, I consider myself kind of in, in that crowd. The actual, when we're talking about the non hardcore, just general public, you've got about eight weeks mm. and that eight weeks you're, you're working backwards from election day. So in Colorado, we would actually, I'm, I don't recall sitting here, if they have an early voting allowance, they probably do because most yeah. states do now. You actually have to work backwards eight weeks from that point. And you have to build a sustained campaign. And we're talking about TV, we're talking about radio, we're talking about digital campaigns. If you got all guns firing, you're talking about everything under the sun, an eight-week campaign targeting specific demographics that your polling shows you need it the most. Like in this market, we need to target this message towards these people, just as an example, right? There are some voters you're never going to get with any message at all. That's who, not who you're targeting. So depending on the early voting period in Colorado, you're working eight weeks previous to that to really get, I mean, that train humming down the tracks, you're going at full speed, everything's being fired off, but still it's very strategic. Mm -hmm. well, now, let's just say now we're going to have a digital campaign over the next 10 days, and then we're going to take another poll and see if that moved people one way or the other. Okay. The 10 days after that, we're going heavy on radio and the let's just say Colorado Springs market. Then we're going to take a poll and see if we're moving people in the right direction and so on and so forth. All the while watching the voter rolls, especially with early voting in place now. Again, I, I'm not sure about Colorado, but I think it has it. And you're watching where turnout is occurring. Because one thing I will say that we've learned very recently, just as recently as August here in the state of Ohio, the two sides of the ideolo ideological spectrum, just as called generally left and right. Mm-hmm. The left has an amazing turnout machine for early voting now. 
Yes. They get their folks going quickly. So in 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 our case, that might be as early as August, September. You're getting people rolling, ready to go to the polls, ready to actually commit one way or the other. Because of the dynamics of the 2020 presidential election, you might recall, and I'm not, I don't want to get into the specifics of it, who was right or wrong, that a lot of folks on the conservative side were convinced don't early vote, show up on election day. Well, what that means is then our campaign has to recognize those dynamics while we're targeting for these eight to 16 week mm. periods. Because some will be more likely to turn out early rather than late. And unfortunately, I'm going to make this easy for everybody. That used to be eight weeks because everybody showed up on Election Day, which means you had to raise money to spend like for so much on TV and radio, et cetera, for eight weeks. Well, now that's been stretched to 16, 16. weeks, potentially yeah. even more. Uh, so it means... It's, everything's gotten more expensive anyway. I don't even want to today start to estimate how much money is going to have to be spent in Colorado to win or put up a good fight. It's going to be multiple millions of dollars. It will be. We just ran a projection here in o Ohio um, because we had that most recent one. Right now, we're talking about 10 to $12 million for any ballot initiative on mm -hmm. any issue. And unfortunately, the other thing say that number again, 10 to 12 million dollars for our side, like a, a ballot issue in Ohio where we're trying to get the win or 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 defeat something. Right. Right. 10 to 12. Yeah. And that's not pie in the sky because Sportsman's Alliance doesn't make any money off these. We're kind of a campaign manager that doesn't take a cut. We don't worry about it. We want to win. We put everything back into the field, so to speak. That, that that's just the reality of how much media markets cost, so on and so forth. So we know, I know Colorado is some version of that. Everything is expensive right now. It right. will take a major commitment from all of us to actually win on election day on the, on the cat issue. It just will uh, You just take it as a given. If you thought a hundred bucks out of the wallet was enough, I would say 200. How about 300 even? It will be, it's a presidential year. It will be very expensive. Yeah. Airtime, billboard space, all these other uh, political initiatives are going to be trying to gobble that up to so get into the supply and demand of, of being able to do that. Can we compete with, I mean, I listened to the whole, a lot, not the whole thing. I couldn't listen to the whole thing. Uh, there were a lot of issues that were being discussed in the, I don't even know. I don't even know why Colorado has a legislature because they just want to decide everything by popular vote out there. Well, and we've seen this phenomenon in a lot of states. A lot of legislators will get will just simply say, "I'll give it to the people." I, yeah, I'll keep my job. I don't want to vote on controversy. Just give it to the people. Right. And it's kind of from that perspective, it's it's very self-serving, but you're right. It just, we just end up with ballot initiative questions, one through, a, you know, whole ton. Because you're right, sitting through that meeting yesterday, like, holy cow, they're going to, they're voting on abortion. They're, they're voting on a whole host of things in Colorado. Energy, abortion, anything that was traditionally uh, a legislator's job to make those, but they don't want to put themselves at risk. You know, right. 
that's that's what it all comes down to is risk assessment on the part of these professional uh legislators that that if i vote on this am i going to keep my job and and so they're hand like you said handing it back to the people and then they can sit back and say well we we gave it to the people i you know yeah i believe in democracy and yeah and and, and nobody can be attacked for that you're like well i believe in democracy i believe this is an important issue the voters of the state should decide this issue and it it truly is a, a a problem, and and you see it in numerous states. I mean, California always has a slew, Washington always has a slew, and it obviously provides an opportunity, like on the the the, the Mount Line initiative, for those who are arrayed against us. It just gives them an this opening, this this avenue, where it's just a question of money. And I know you and I have talked about this, and others. Everybody's aware, the other side has a ton of money. They raise mm-hmm. it money and these issues for them just become another fundraising opportunity if nothing else so and we they know- are and they are going to keep a portion of that fundraising money not like sportsman's alliance or what we're doing or some of these other organizations that are out there i mean we're planning stuff that's a complete pass through minus the actual operating expenses to generate right. this money because at the end of the day you've still got, you've still got to be able to survive for the next fight. So, you know, um, whereas you take some of these other organizations, only a percentage, a small, probably single digit percentage of their money is going to fund the campaign. The rest of it is going to pay for overhead and CEO pay and, and, and all this other garbage that, uh, your average voter doesn't even understand how little of their money is going to fund what they're what they're passionate about. That's right. And and again, you know, just in in my professional lifetime, while I earned all this gray hair, HSUS, as an example, they, they sit on now five hundred, six hundred million dollars. I don't mm-hmm. I don't mean in, in I, I mean, in sitting there waiting to be spent. That CBD again has a pile Center for Biological Diversity, mm-hmm. a pile of money. ASPCA, a pile of money. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars at the ready, even before they start the fundraising exercise in a state like Colorado. So right. again, we can't control that. They may decide to to just literally open the spigot the whole way. We have to develop our campaign. It has to be based on that initial baseline survey, the poll that that is taken in the state. The polls that have already been run over the years in Colorado show that the the people are very susceptible to this trophy hunting message on cats. We know it's an uphill climb, but we have to develop a campaign based on that polling data that shows us where do we need to go, which voters do we need to talk to. And and if I could, while we're here, because Houndsmen aren't the problem on this issue, the one I'm getting ready to raise, but I see it all too often in our campaigns. I don't mean sportsmen, I mean hunting-related campaigns. Yes. Everybody wants to tell the conservation story and this 100-year-old story in Pittman-Robertson. I'm telling you right now, the elbows have got to come up. And when it comes to moving voters who are near the middle, you've got to remind them why they should personally care. Now, as somebody who knows a great deal about public opinion, what what you and I have already talked about a little bit, I know how to move a voter. Mm -hmm. 
towards a candidate, towards an issue, you actually think of, you remember Maslow's hierarchy? You know, you're talking over my head. Well, it basically says at the, at the, the bottom of us as human beings, like the thing that matters to us most, food and safety, right? We're just organisms. At the end of the day, I have to survive, right? Right. How do we remind people that something like a cat initiative actually is important to them? We tell them, guess what? Cats are dangerous. There is always this incl inclination for folks to actually suggest that this 100-year-old Pittman-Robertson conservation, et cetera, et cetera, story will convince voters that they should be with us because it's such a wonderful story. Again, we everybody says, I hate negative ads. Negative ads are what work. And in our case, because folks already start behind the eight ball on the issue, oh, that's a beautiful mountain line. Why would you want to do anything to harm that beautiful mountain line? We've got to get serious and we've got to mean it, right? Mm -hmm. So how do I relate to, to your, well, I start talking about mountain lion attacks. I start talking about other apex predator attacks. I start talking about how mountain lions decimate certain wildlife pop populations. I get, I go to the core of it. Why should you care, madam from Denver or Boulder or wherever you are? I'm going to tell you why, because you love your kids. We've got to go there. And everybody's going to, oh, Todd. They always say the same, oh, I, I hate that message. That message doesn't work. I'm telling you, it always takes a while to get through, but the polling always shows it to be absolutely true. You've got to bring the elbows up and talk about what mismanagement looks like in very clear and unquestioned terms. This is what this, is what this will lead to. Yeah, one of the things that they kept uh, talking about yesterday in the title hearing was the fact that uh, they they painted this picture for the title board where mountain lions are not used for any kind of food. You know, that's, you know, they really took that off the table. They worked hard to get that off the table and convince the title board. And they're going to work hard to convince the public that, that mountain lions are not used for a food source when we as hunters know that that is completely false. I was just watching a, uh, uh, a very popular clip from a podcast where they were actually talking, it was Joe Rogan and they were talking about the value, the food quality of mountain lion and, and how edible and palatable and, and everything, all the benefits of it. So the message can get out there. So, but the thing that, that, Abs that that absolutely needs to be known. I think it's defeatable because it talks about what are the three things? It talks about public safety. It talks about uh, the food source, and then there was one other point that they're trying to make on this thing. I'll have to read it again. I should have read that beforehand. But those two alone, the anti-hunting crowd's trying to convince people that mountain lion populations pose no public safety threat. All you got to do is go to California and Oregon and dig up the stories from Colorado where mountain lions are attacking people and not only killing them, but also caching them for food, food sources. That story's never been out there. Well, and again, you know, maybe you can help me as we get down the road. I've seen it time and again over many, many years. 
folks on our side will be very reluctant to go down the pathway that will provide us the clearest opportunity for a win. And that pathway is apex predators like mountain lions pose a, a dangerous risk to human beings and other wildlife. And to, in today's world, you talked about how, you know, people are just changing and we're changing as a society. You got to show them visuals. Well, how that raises a question on my part, because the, the other side, our adversaries are trying to appeal to the emotional, they're making the emotional appeal that they're beautiful and they are. And believe me, I, I believe all of this 100% and I would debate anybody that there's probably nobody, uh, that, that drives a Subaru that cares more about a mountain lion than I do, you know, every, every point of it. So, um, they're appealing to the emotional side and the, the welfare and the future and the well-being of the species and all this stuff. And they're getting traction there. So why doesn't thing, why don't things like the study in orange County, Los Angeles that they're conducting right now, that's showing a, uh, a genetic deficiency and, uh, diversity in their mountain lion population is, is actually damaging to the mountain lion population. Same thing is being shown in Florida places where they do not allow mountain lion hunting and, and they're restricted geographically either by interstate corridors or urban sprawl or whatever. And we're seeing this deficiency in the quality and the health and the well-being. Why can't that get any traction from our side? It, it might be, it, it might get some traction that the problem is, you know, what we discussed earlier, as soon as you go more than about seven words deep into something, you've lost most folks. And that's just the reality of, of the public square right now. They need immediate, they need emotional. We can, we can argue whether that's good or bad later. I, I'm not a big fan of it, but it's just the reality of how decisions are made by most people these days. They're going to play emotions. My point is, if we stick to logic, we're done. We mm -hmm. will be done. Hmm. So what you're identifying is there will be ways for us to kind of uh, hijack their emotional appeals. And, and that's all I'm suggesting it. You know, a lot of people, if you can just convince them that cats are dangerous to other wildlife, it literally cats will just tear up other wildlife. They'll tear up dogs. Look, the dogs are a big one. Right. It, it just so I guess the base argument I'm making, we're kind of making the same argument. We just got to stick with the emotion, too. It's just it just is what it is. We just have to understand that that's how you actually get people to vote yes or no appeal to their emotions. And we've got plenty of it. The difficulty I've seen over time is everybody wants to fall on this long narrative about conservation and mm. effective wildlife management and a hundred, a, a more than a century of success. And I don't deny any of that. I revel in it too. It's awesome what we've done in this country. We're the envy of the rest of the world. But these voters, you got to go straight to it. And you've mm. got to immediately pertinent to them what's the quick and easiest way to do that mom your kids are in danger your dog's in danger 
there's some people out there that care more about their dogs than their kids. <laughs> right. And there's set, there's plenty of videos out there demonstrating, you know, a lion hopping over the back fence, picking up fluffy and hopping back over the fence. So yeah, videos of uh mountain lions stalking young children in a backyard. Yes. I mean, again, it, do, do I like the fact that we don't get to just rely on this wonderful story we built over the past more than a century of conservation success? No, but I understand how campaigns are won and lost and you go straight to the heart and we've actually got a story to tell. It's it, it hinges on the same kind of effective wildlife management story. It's just you kind of spin it around and say, well, let me show you what bad management looks like if you pass this initiative. It looks bad for people. It looks bad for wildlife. So let me show you some visualizations of that, some actual mm -hmm. video depictions of, of how dangerous this world you're getting ready to create looks like. If we go to that and we spend our money that way, yeah, we've got a fighting shot. Then you're fighting fire with fire. It's interesting. It goes back to this, um, you know, what are you prepared to do right. to win at this point? What are you right. prepared to do? And there's um, the gloves have got to come off and we got it. Hunters have always been, you know, we just want to be left alone. We just, we just want yeah. to go do our thing and live in our own little, you know, secluded world, stand on the mountain, think we're the only ones in it. You know, I'm guilty, man. I, I just came back from New Mexico and standing on some of those rim rock mesas and stuff and looking out and you're just like, I could just stay out here forever and just let everything let the rest of the world burn down um but at some point we've got to ask ourselves what are we willing to do and i'm not gonna i'm i'm not gonna sugarcoat it here you kind of took some wind out of my sails i just released a to my houndsman xp team this morning you know our official official statement on this deal with with colorado and it leaned heavy into uh you know the successes of of conservation efforts in North America for the last, I'll send it over to you and you take a look at it. Um, so you're, you're causing me to re not retract, but absolutely review how I'm looking at this fight, Todd, because your experience and your expertise is undeniable in these issues. Well, and, and I don't know if you need any rewriting to go on right now, especially when we're talking to our own crowd, our own crowd, we understand all of that and it is our success story and we should value it and because it it goes to the heart of this matter people walking into a booth that's not effective fish and wildlife management no yeah. no no. this is so anti that it's not even funny that that is 180 degrees away from this model we've built over time and, and we should be proud of that so for folks in our crowd it's it's like well yeah the this is what I've been leaning on my whole life. It's what I believe in. I'm just saying when it comes down to whatever shows up on channel seven, let's say in Denver at, you know, during the local news, you know, two weeks mm -hmm. out from the election, it better go emotional and better go right to the heart. And I mean, think about the gun issue, you know, something I've worked on a ton as well. Does anything more powerful than a crowbar coming through a sliding glass window? Do I need to say anything more? You're, right. you're, the, I don't need the long explanation. And most Americans don't want the long explanation. If we, if we depict, and I've seen this video of this cat stalking this kid through a backyard, 
do I need to tell any, I don't even need bullet points at that point. They, oh, I got it. You're right. Holy cow. They're dangerous. Right. Yeah. yeah. So at the end For of the sure. day, uh, I, I don't know that the messages within our organizations kind of within the community need to change, but certainly when we go out there trying to convince folks, yeah, yeah. Wildlife management just doesn't work unless it's that special spin on it that, you know, the, the, the antithesis of wildlife management, this is what it looks like. So and for every, so for every photo or video that's released of this little cute, anthropomorphized mountain lion kitten that is released, we need to release a picture of a full grown adult ripping apart a mule deer and show and that, that side yeah. of it. Yeah. The fact uh, that they're carrying your dog out of the backyard. Don't yeah. be, don't be fooled. Yeah. And, but and, how do we not go too far? How do we not go too far where we yeah. actually villainize the things that we are trying to protect. It's part of that campaign timing. Again, another, you know, we talked about how there are things to be done at certain times of the campaign. Again, it's part of the balance you're constantly trying, because you identify a real problem is, yeah, if you just have negative, 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 right? You're going to actually, there's going to be a boomerang effect of that just you have to be very wary of. Yes. So it's just, again, you're watching those tracking poles. This is something that you're doing as much as you can afford, quite frankly, twenty every 24, every 48 hours to watching the, kind of the people to see what they're reacting to within those markets that you're doing X, Y, or Z. Whether it's yard signs or a TV ad, you're tracking that anyway, saying you can start to see it almost immediately. Okay, back off, back off, back off, right? Yeah, and you get multiple messengers. You get kind of folks from different aspects of life. You hopefully get some folks who have been involved in professional wildlife management in some capacity to bring forward some of these messages. So it's not all about, you know, the person in the hospital room. It mm -hmm. will be. That will be an aspect, but I say it has to be there and it will be among the most important aspects of a campaign. I would just wanted to give you and your listeners sure. a warning. There will be a lot of people saying, no, man, no, we shouldn't do that at all. We we have to stay up here instead of down there. And in wildlife management is where we got to be and Pittman Robertson contributions and blah, 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 right. blah. Yeah, I, I think you, you nailed it right there. I, I would just add that, yes, have those videos on your phone and be prepared to show them to Aunt Millie at Thanksgiving, but don't push it so far where we accomplish the goals of the anti-hunting crowd yeah. that are trying to say that we don't care about lions, that, right. that, you know, because we have deep admiration for them. They're very valuable to us. They, they, I mean, they, they absolutely were, we're their biggest fans. And right. we know that our message and through sound conservation that we are doing more for the mountain lion and the survival of all wildlife species by adhering to the North American model. So don't take it too far, you know, right. have those videos on their phone, but be prepared, know the North American model, know, you know, things about Pittman Robertson, know things of, you know, all the things that we have done to support wildlife, but be, be strategic and know when to pull that out. Right. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, that without without 
you know, dragging the Colorado thing out too far. I know there's tons of other stuff going on, Todd, and uh, I'm very comfortable and reassured to know that the Sportsman's Alliance has always got their eye on the ball. You know, where are we at on the lawsuit in the Great Lakes region yeah. with, the, with the Wolves? Great. Um, so, as you know, we petitioned U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We actually did two petitions to delist uh, Western Great Lakes wolves. That's um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. That's the subpopulation known as the Western Great Lakes. Um, and then we also issued another petition because when we analyzed the various court decisions, among the reasons that they keep refusing to acknowledge a West Great Lakes, Western Great Lakes delisting is that, well, Fish and Wildlife Service, what are you going to do with all the other wolves in this country? So that's what our second petition was about. And it can get kind of legalistic and technical. But we did that second petition saying, hey, if you address all of these remnant populations in states like Washington, Oregon, California, these little tiny pockets of remnant wolves, and you can actually classify them as their own subspecies in a way, because what the courts kept saying is once you delist the most significant population of wolves in the country in these three states, what are you going to do for all the rest? Now, many of us would say, well, we could figure out what to do with all the rest. But that's what the courts have said. And sometimes judges just can be hyper technical about things. And there's no reasoning with that. So what mm -hmm. we did is those two petitions. The deadline for Fish and Wildlife Service to respond was the 29th of September. That's under the Endangered Species Act. This is often how the other side gets their automatic win on some of these cases. We could walk into court today and demand uh, a, a response from Fish and Wildlife Service and actually get all of our attorney's fees paid for up until that point, pretty much. Mm -hmm. That's what would happen. You get 90 days under the ESA to consider a petition and come up with an answer. We're trying to work with them right now because we want to kind of push for this change, go ahead and delist. So we don't want to start out, so to speak, it, totally with a baseball bat in our head, beat them on over the head. Now we're, we're taking it to court now. So our lawyers in DC are working with them to try to come up with an answer to those initial petitions as soon as possible. Now we're not gonna let that linger for a long time. We're not gonna like come back months later we have that right to walk into court now. We're working with them to try to get the response that we actually want in a matter of days, if not the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. They can choose a number of options. What we're aiming for, so people recognize this phrase when they hear it, may be warranted. Delisting the Western Great Lakes gray wolves may be warranted. And that's kind of their official, guess what? Now we're going to have a new proposed rule to delist these wolves. Everybody come on and start bitching and moaning about this, right? <laughs> Do your comments, everybody get engaged. This is when the other side will bring in all of their stuff. And it'll be just like your typical proposed rulemaking to delist wolves in the Western Great Lakes. So we're kind of in a, in a slight pause as we try to kind of do a good neighborly thing, look, look we understood you can make, make meet the deadline. We're willing to wait a, a little while longer while we kind of while you provide your answer so we can get moving. 
uh, but we won't wait forever. So that's where we are now. We remain very positive. Most of the folks with any knowledge about this entire 20 year uh, kind of journey that man, you guys went at this exactly right. You gave them the off ramp to delist. You gave them the additional support with this other petition so that courts will recognize you can delist Western Great Lakes and still take care of the rest of the wolves in, in non-pop, you know, like non-DPSs uh, throughout the country. So we we feel very good about it. We feel very good about it. Yeah. Who are all the, uh, you had some partners that collaborated on this. I'd like to give them a shout out if you can name them. Yeah. Western Bear Hunt. Uh, I'm sorry. Wisconsin Bear Hunters. Mm -hmm. Wisconsin Dog Hunters. And we had their counterparts in the state of Michigan. And Upper Peninsula that, Bear Hunters, Michigan Bear Hunters Association. There you go. Exactly. Did the Michigan Sporting Dog? I can't remember the name. Mike uh, Thorman. Mike Thorman is is the the head of that organization or plays a key role there. Um, but sorry, I'm not sure we know it. that we know that the UP Bear Houndsmen and Michigan Bear Hunters jumped on that for sure. That's right. That's and right. I can only assume that that Mike Thorman um, is is doing everything he can on his end. I've seen his posts and stuff. So, yep, yeah. So we appreciate our coalition partners as always. I mean, obviously, the people that actually are on the ground in a given state, whenever an issue is going on, are critical to our success, let alone anybody's success. Um, so yeah, we we feel pretty positive about that at this point. We feel good. We feel yeah. good. good. No bad news, and in this case, we believe that means no news means good news. So yeah, well, it you know just taking it at face value. On one hand, we're talking about taking the gloves off in Colorado, and then when we're dealing with the Western Wolf, Great Lakes Wolves, we're like, oh, let's slow down and pump the brakes a little bit and play nice here. But it's all a matter of strategy of knowing who the players are, what the landscape looks like, and what's most effective for that certain situation. There isn't a, a one-size-fits-all strategy for all of these issues. That's right. Each single one of them is going to have its own you know, peculiar facts on the ground. And in this case, because if you recall about the Western Great Lakes delisting and the other petition, Fish and Wildlife Service is already on a calendar with an overall status review of gray wolves in the entire on the entire continent. So the reason we kind of struck when we did um, in early summer was that we recognized the timing then of the answers and the proposed rules on our petition would coincide January, February with when they are supposed to complete their full status review. So we know they've been crunching the numbers on gray wolves. So that's why sure. we're kind of like, we understand you're hard at work on this issue generally, and our petitions are part and parcel of that. So again, we don't want to slow things down. Now we'll get, again, we'll bring the elbows up, as I said earlier, when that when that's actually appropriate, and we're not going to wait forever. Um, but we feel right now the most positive thing we could do is just say, hey, man, let's figure out we're here to help. We're trying to get this because, again, this has been a 20 year fight all over this country with all of these various lawsuits. And we're trying to provide the pathway kind of for for conclusion. Sure. What else you got, Todd? What else do we need to have our eye on here? Um, 
the big thing, and this is going to be kind of brand new for a lot of your folks because it's kind of brand new for us too. There is a new group out there in the world called Best Friends Animal Society. Uh, that Boy. might be brand new to you. It, it was is brand new. Well, it was brand new to me just, just a, mere, a few mere months ago. This is a group that has shown up out of nowhere. It's been around for a while. They must have had a major influx of cash or something. They are What they are now doing is very quietly going to the local level in many states to implement new breeder requirements, spay and neuter requirements. No Animal welfare bills. Yeah, no sales to pet stores, adoption. Mm -hmm only requirements and so on and so forth and they're literally in some states they've gone into dozens and dozens of localities so this is a brand new trick bag for us because at the end of the day what you're talking about the animal welfare network is kind of built that way that there's a local shelter and a local group of volunteers and so when you kind of come into that little tiny county if you will and you say, well, where are the sportsman groups? Where are the dog hunting groups? There might be a person, but there's no structure right. of a group of houndsmen or, or bird dog guys or anybody else to respond. They're like, so they've been very successful, very quiet about it, smartly. They have gone even across states like Ohio and Indiana, California, Florida, or understand, but they are all over the place. Yeah, they're in Indiana, Chris. Yeah. And passing these things at the local level. Now, again, not directly what you would say anti-hunting or anti-houndsman, but as you know, you start to implement spay neuter requirements and the rest of it before you know it. Wait, I'm a commercial breeder now in my county. Like exactly when did that happen? And you get to inspect my place. Now, wait, what what? So Eyes and ears open for everybody. Best Friends Animal Society. If you see an alert from us or any other group that a county is doing something, and even if you don't live in that county, again, going back to what you said, boy, you better respond. And you better get with your own network and say, what the hell are they doing in Elkhart County? Or what the hell are they right. doing in St. Joe County? Or whatever county. Franklin it's funny county that you mentioned those two counties. <laughs> big pet you know big pet right. industry there and right. and uh, a key role so right. yeah and it's it's really a trojan horse at, uh a, attack i mean it's very again very strategic and um it's one of those it's one of those situations that you know who doesn't which church group doesn't think it's a good idea to take their youth group over and volunteer at the local dog shelter and hold kittens and help them trim toenails and, and things like that. You know, it's, it makes perfect sense, but it's a Trojan horse because I've seen it on a local level where we had a shelter that started here. And I know some of the people that got involved there and their, their families hunted, they did all this other stuff. And before you know it, they found funding with a group, just like you're talking about, and so now they've switched, you know, they've, they've pivoted and they've become animal welfare zealots. Yeah. And, and they lay the groundwork for whatever's next. That's right. Precisely right. what you're talking about. They lay, they build that network. 
they they know like they build their email trees and social media networks and then yep. they come back for a lot more and and again we are because we're usually at in the hunting community based at the state level and or national level sometimes regional level but we've never drilled all the way down right that so we have conservation clubs who aren't necessarily again you talk about animal welfare issues are like wait what does this have to do with us Ty? exactly so it it it's a it's a deadly cocktail of a lot of different factors and yeah. that's what i want your your viewers and listeners to be aware when you see it's a bright orange logo with a paw on it best friends animal society nope they are clearly on the move they're they're they now uh raise about 150 million dollars a year wow they are going they 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 don't care arkansas they're like yeah it might be a pro sportsman or a pro hunting state but when you talk about these animal welfare welfare issues, a lot of our own people are like, well, what's wrong? I hate puppy mills too. And you're like, ay, ay, ay. Bigger issues that we got to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I talk about constantly, you know, this, this deal going on nationally, Colorado affects the coon hunter in Indiana and Ohio. And it's all, I, I do believe it's all hands on deck. I've said that. But this will affect you. It affects deer hunters. It affects if you're a duck hunter and you have a Labrador. All of these attacks from the, the animal rights extremists do affect you. Just because the fight in Colorado isn't about mountain lions. Right. You no, know, it's about it's about losing our freedoms and our rights. It's about overturning that legacy of conservation. It's a it's a uh separation from responsible and scientific based wildlife management and and ultimately when they come to a place like indiana that is still very conservative i can tell you firsthand that that my wife and daughters um, are very attached to their dogs and they could easily be reeled in and i'm constantly looking at stuff that they're showing me about groups that are trying to do this or that for their welfare. And it's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. You know, yeah. that those people are not our friends. No doubt. So imagine, you know, you're exactly right. Imagine your typical conservative legislator who absolutely who right with us on it all the way down. No, they're not going to mess with our guns. No, I'm, I'm going to protect hunting at all costs. Well, somebody comes in and starts talking about puppies, kittens, and, pet store sales and they're like yeah I, of course i'm for animal welfare it, it th because people wouldn't nobody would say i'm against animal welfare nobody, exactly nobody would say that so that's political poison right there right. no i don't care about kittens and puppies you know nobody's gonna say that <laughs> right so anyway i wanted to raise that because I, you know, again, I was kind of like, who are they? Wait, what? What's this group called? And I was like, and I started to research them. I was like, holy cow, boy, this has been a sleeping giant and they are rolling. And again, it, it, maybe on purpose, I'm, I obviously don't know. It's been our Achilles heel always local control. And that's why we work so hard to preempt localities from, you know, taking care of gun issues in many states, because right. boy, if you've got to fight, 75 counties on stuff you're done i mean as an as an organization whatever it is but 
they magically, because of that animal welfare network, the way it's been built over time, it, it starts at the local shelter. Everything starts with, and it, that's great, but it, it they have a ready-made kind of apparatus, if you will, or a structure to do this kind of stuff. Yeah, I just want to I just want to take a real brief second and maybe boil this down to more simple terms. You know, raccoon hunting is not endangered of being outlawed in the state of Indiana. We've got we've got an abundance. There's crop damage. There's homeowner damage. So nobody's coming after these groups are so strategic. They know they can't win that fight. So what are they going to do? They're going to restrict your ability to own the hound that you can go out and hunt with. That's right. their tactic they they're very strategic they're not dummies and they know exactly how to get to us so i just wanted to boil that down in real simple terms that's why it these things involve you you may never you may not feel any direct pressure when you're leaving your driveway tonight with your hound loaded and going down the road and hunting a place that you've hunted for the last 30 years of your life but the pressure, the, the the threats are real and they're out there. And if you don't educate yourself on them, you're going to find yourself with a pet tree walker coon dog that barks in a kennel all the time. And you're <laughs> going to figure out whether you can make him a house dog or not. I like that. Yeah. Like, otherwise an ornament. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just a cool ride or die buddy. He rides in the front seat of the truck, you know? <laughs> So, uh, and he's going to be spayed or neutered too, by the way. Cause that will be required. And yes. Yes. And you'll have to have him in the house when it's above 80 and below 50 degrees, you know, and, and the, the local sheriff will be able to come to your house with the, the animal welfare officer for your County and inspect how you're keeping your dog. That's yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it, I, I wish this was all pie in the sky, just fun, you know, in the past, uh, just in the past couple of weeks, we issued some alerts down in, in counties in Georgia. And it's like, look, man, it, it again, they're, they're coming after us. And even for folks who mean well at the local level, and they often, I believe that to be the case, they, there are people who mean well. County commissioners are like, well, I don't like animal abuse. Well, of course you don't. Because they're, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't mean this in a, in an unkind way. Many times at the local level, they they don't have the finest lawyers involved in writing ordinances, right? Because it's on issues they've never dealt with, and it's very clumsy and it's very rough. And this exemption doesn't apply to you. Can, literally can't hunt in this county anymore with a dog, and this has been occurring over the past couple mm -hmm. months. You understand this leash requirement means. You can't hunt while well, you could hunt with a dog on leash. That doesn't happen very often. There's right. no there's no hunting. There's no trialing. There's no training. And they're like, wait, what? No, it exempts hunting dogs. I go, you don't understand this, right? That might be argued in the while in the act of hunting, but you haven't actually exempted the activities themselves. So anyway, it's a real problem. So you know, boy, all everybody who listens and watches this. Keep your eyes out because it's kind of in a different direction, even for, a, oh, I got to worry about my locality now. Yes, you have to worry about your locality. Mm -hmm, for sure. Just the reality we live in. For sure. Well, Todd, we've been going for about an hour and some here, and I don't like pulling the plug. I don't know what your time schedule looks like. Well, I do have, we're getting ready to bump up against something else. So, Yep. Yep. I knew that your time is valuable and precious, and I appreciate it. Um, 
there's plenty more that you can learn from Sportsman's Alliance. The website's unbelievable. You can actually click on your own state and find out all of the things that are going to be affecting you if they're not already and what Sportsman's Alliance is doing to uh, stand up for your freedoms and your rights. We're very proud to partner with Sportsman's Alliance. And um, you can you can help us support this show and keep organiza- an organization like Sportsman's Alliance in your corner and on your side by joining us on Patreon. When you support us on Patreon at the $12 level, we are going to pay for your membership to Sportsman's Alliance. I, I'm very... I just can't tell you how happy I am to have that friendship and agreement with you guys, Todd. Well, I mean, likewise. And at the end of the day, you and I have talked about this often. Um, You know, the financial support is always super important because everything we do costs money, right? Everything you do costs money. So the financial support has to be there. And boy, we love it. And and I love people who are willing to, to go ahead and sacrifice in that way, right? But here's the here's the thing that's just wonderful about it for us is the more people we have engaged, the more the more likely we are to win everything. Yes. So through whatever mechanism, and that's why I love our partnership. It's just another one of these great me- mechanisms where you stepped up. You said, "I want to help take care of the future." Well, if somebody just asked me, get engaged, everybody, just you and I've talked about it, get engaged. So even knowing that we have an additional person or 10 people or a hundred or a thousand who get our alerts, who understand the issues better, who are made aware of what's going on in the world around them. Oh my God. I mean, that's the whole key. So we love it. Absolutely. Our- Absolutely. Well, Todd, thanks for tuning or, you know, joining us and, and, uh, discussing some of the nuances i i learned a lot from talking to you today some things that i wasn't aware of and uh, keep up the good fight you too my friend i love being on the on the show so i'll come back as often as you'll have me appreciate you're a great guest all right everybody thanks for tuning in to this episode of the houndsman xp podcast this is fair chase